Hey everybody, welcome back to Patriot to the Core podcast. This is Thad Forrester and it's episode number 81. Today I talk with good friend Michael Andrew, a.k.a. Mike Schiffler, a.k.a. Schiff, whatever you want to call him, but most of you know him as Michael Andrew. He's been on the show before a few times talking about his natural disaster volunteer work. He has his own company called Red Lightning and he also partners with other organizations such as the Red Cross and uh, UPS. Mike is in a position to where he can deploy almost at a moment's notice throughout the world and help with humanitarian aid. This time we're talking about his work in Indonesia. He's been there for a few weeks. He'll be there for several more weeks. He's there with UPS helping in a logistics function to get the COVID-19 vaccine to people in some of these very remote and also poor areas of the country of Indonesia. There are some very some logistical challenges with keeping the, the vaccine at a certain temperature for a certain period of time. They do have some drone options as well, but Mike is there helping in that capacity. Unfortunately, this topic is very polarizing for a lot of people, and that's not what this is meant to be about. It's about someone who is, has the opportunity and the ability to serve, and he wants to get the vaccine to people who want it or have it available for people who choose. He's not pushing the vaccine. Uh, he does have a background in molecular biology and genetics, and so it makes sense to him. He is definitely for the vaccine, but he understands that that's a personal decision and people should consult with their doctor if they are considering taking the vaccine. So thank you for tuning in again. I hope you enjoy. So Mike, I was looking back and I didn't realize that you've actually been on Patriot to the core three times before today. <laughs> wow. I didn't so, know that. Yeah. The last time was December of 2017 when you were finally getting out of Puerto That's right. Rico. Oh my gosh. Four, <laughs> almost three, three and a half years ago. So every that, time that is always, was, I said that trip was great. It was an amazing trip. Puerto Rico was amazing. Well, you were there for how long? Like five months or something? Four months. Okay. Every time we've talked, you know, on the podcast, it's been about the service that you're, the volunteer work that you're doing. And so now you're in Indonesia and this is, this is a little bit of a different podcast because of what you're doing and because of where this can go, we'll see how our, our time works out. But what are you doing in Indonesia? Long story short, when COVID started creating the lockdowns last year, uh, I got on a, a Zoom call with Craig Arnold, who's one of my disaster aid partners, and we started running through scenarios and simulations of what we could expect from COVID in the next year. And we came to the conclusion that first world countries, uh, areas with, with lots of resources, had the means to at least defend themselves against it. But the harder to reach areas could not. We're talking about the very poor, the very hard to reach. And we came to the conclusion that the supply chain was going to run into problems when trying to reach, you know, like, for example, in Nepal, thousands of villages, you can't drive to them. You know, you either have to take a helicopter or walk for two to seven days. And that's when you look at the 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 ruralness of the world, there are a lot of places like this. And so we became concerned for those people that we had worked with before who had, we had served and we were starting to say, hey, this is going to be a problem because even if there was a vaccine, they're not going to be able to get it very easily. And one of the solutions we came to the conclusion to was a drone. Long story short, we did some research and we found a, a drone that was already partnering with UPS called Wingcopter. It's a, it's a German drone company that had just has amazing 
capabilities. Talking about uh, beyond visual line of sight, up to 100, basically 100 kilometers, uh, carrying payload. You know, so vaccines are light, they're small. And we saw that as a, as a viable, one viable solution to try to help to reach uh, some of these, you know, villages and, and poor, you know, places that we had been to before. The concern is that the vaccine has to be stored at a very specific temperature. It's either two to eight degrees Celsius for most of them, the non-mRNA vaccines. If you're talking about mRNA vaccines, now you're talking about negative 70 or cooler, which is something that can only be done with active cooling or with dry ice. Dry ice can, can keep that temperature low, but you'd have to replenish the dry ice as, you know, as it evaporates. Uh, but long story short, there is, there's a huge problem of trying to bring the vaccine to these remote places that do not have electricity and in roads. That's the short answer. So we got on conference calls for pretty much a year and uh, we determined that Indonesia was on the top of our list for concerns because number one, highly populated, 280 million people, and then a very tough geographical terrain, 17,000 islands. So when you get that many people scattered over so many places, it's it's a big challenge. So that's the short answer. Uh, when the opportunity came to go to Indonesia, I said yes, and here I am. And so I'm working on a big project, and I'm working on some of this uh, outreach to the smaller villages. That's the short that's the short story of how I ended up here. I know you have a lot of experience with this, and you've worked with UPS, with Red Cross, probably others. But why you? Why did they ask you to go to Indonesia? Craig is a good friend. We've deployed five or six times together, and from Haiti to the Philippines, uh, we've been in the U.S. Virgin Islands together. Vanuatu and Craig is vice president. He's one of the vice presidents for UPS Healthcare Sales. So, it just coincidentally, his job is to help manage the movement of vaccines all over the world. UPS is it is arguably the best in the business in terms of moving things. You know, competing against FedEx, competing against uh, DHL. They've moved more vaccines than anybody in the world. And last I checked, it was a like a billion doses, 51 countries. But it just so happens one of my best friends is one of the vice presidents for their healthcare sales. And uh, Craig, so Craig is familiar with my experience in disaster. He's been there with me. And so when a position became open for an executive, UPS executive to go into Indonesia, they said, we want you there. We want you to help with bringing vaccines into Indonesia. And we also want you to continue to work with the drones on this, this mobile outreach. So that's the short answer is, is that Craig, um, he knows what I've done and he knows that I'm experienced with the operations side of it. Yeah. I mean, and you have the knowledge, but you also have the experience leading and managing people and teams. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've, I mean, every trip is a learning experience, and so uh, I, I mean, every every trip I've been on, it's been a, really I've learned so much. The, the bottlenecks, the red tape, how to navigate, how to you know get the right connections with the right people, you know, who makes plays, who's who do not, you know, all of those things um, come into play in, in terms of actually being effective at what you want to you try to do. 
And uh, Craig and I look at it as a challenge. It's almost like it's, I hate to say the word game, but it's it's it can be that enjoying is when you're solving these very hard problems. It's very satisfying. The vaccine. Now, this can be a hot topic. So, sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know many people more conservative than you. Uh, <laughs> you're very you. I think you're you're intelligent. You're, you're well informed, uh, well spoken. <laughs> Uh, I'm I am very conservative as well as you and everybody who knows me knows uh, the vaccine. I was very hesitant to take it. My wife mm-hmm. was not as hesitant, and 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 really the reason why I did it so quickly is because our youngest son has had heart issues. He's had multiple mm-hmm. surgeries. He's high risk, and we were very concerned about him because if you look at all of the problems that COVID could cause. Man, he just checked so many boxes. So we were a little, over, maybe even over vigilant. I'm not sure uh, during the, at least the past, you know, a little over a year. So we were able to get the vaccine, but I wasn't happy about it at first. But at the same time, mm-hmm. vaccines are incredible, and these companies are not our enemies. Uh, you know, Pfizer, Johnson Johnson, whoever, but. Why is it such a hot topic, and why do you believe so strongly in the COVID-19 vaccine? So uh, a couple disclaimers real quick. I'm not a doctor. Uh, I, I, my training is in molecular biology, so I've had, I have a master's degree in molecular biology. I have an MBA in biotechnology. For those that know me, I was five years into a Ph.D. in genetics. And so this is these molecules are kind of my world. Uh, I'm not an immunologist. I'm not a doctor. But the first thing I would say is is that – People should be having the conversation with their own doctors. That's that's really where it should start. It's just as reckless to tell people not to take the vaccine as it is to take the vaccine because that's medical advice. And and we now we're seeing in social media people who they they read something and they think they know something and now they're giving people other people medical advice. I have friends that I you know knowing their history, I would say you probably shouldn't take it, but go talk to your doctor first. Most normal, healthy people uh, will probably have a really good experience with the vaccine if you have a strong immune response. But again, this is something you should talk to your doctor with. Now, my I was worried about my dad accidentally getting it. Like, you know, I wasn't really worried about me dying from it, but my dad is over 70. And if I, you know, had it, wasn't showing symptoms and I showed up to my dad, I might accidentally kill him. How many times has this happened, right? So that's kind of the same thought that I had. But the the problem, you know, and I, this is a political question, too, because the, the conservatives have a consensus view and the liberals, the left ha- also has a view and they both get parts of the science wrong. And when I hear, you know, this discussion with incorrect science, it's like scratching on a chalkboard where I'm like, oh, no, don't say that. It's wrong. And uh, I'll, I'll just say, I'll call him out, Tucker Carlson on Fox. I like him, but boy, he, did, he, does, he does not understand the science and he's doing tremendous damage for talking about the things that he is. And, and if you go into the science of what he's saying, he's straight up wrong. I'm a conservative. I like Tucker Carlson. And then on, you know, on the left, the left also gets a lot of things wrong where, where you know, a lot of them are saying it has to be the vaccine. Well, not really, because if you've had COVID and you've recovered from it, that means your immune system has a way to fight it. And uh, we're not seeing a lot of credit 
being given medically to the people who have had COVID and, re- and have recovered from it, they should, in my opinion, you know, as a molecular biologist, they should pretty much be given the same uh, seal of approval as somebody who's had the vaccine. Now, their immune response may not be as strong, but there's there's some good science that says they, they should have an immunological response for the rest of their lives if they've defeated COVID. It's probably beyond the scope of this discussion, but you can see there's both sides of this that they get it wrong. And in the end, if you have a concern about the vaccine, you should do some basic research about what vaccines are. And uh, there's answers to all the questions about the vaccine. We know more about the vaccines than we know about the actual virus. You know, we don't we know a lot more about DNA and RNA than we do, you know, about the long term effects of what the covid virus will do to your body. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. But why have you had some people that are friends of yours attack you? Uh, they think I'm doing the devil's work by trying to give uh, poor people the same access to medicine that we have in the United States. And they, they see, you know, there's these conspiracy theories that there's, you know, 5G tracking technology in them or, you know, that we don't know anything about it at all. And it's all part of a Bill Gates conspiracy and, and glowing, uh, I just got one glowing stuff and in your body. Oh, oh yeah. There's all, all kinds of stuff. And the truth of the matter is anything scientific in, in terms of the medical or molecular biology, uh, when that research is done, it is published in the form of a scientific paper where the methodology, the steps taken to get that result are published. That paper is then scrutinized by peers in the field who can either confirm or deny the findings. This has happened with the vaccines. So when Pfizer came out, they published their paper. Same with Moderna, same with you know, AstraZeneca. All of them have published, with the exception, I'm not so sure about how much information we have about the Chinese ver- versions of the vaccines, which is a completely different story. But the Pfizer and the Moderna, they published those papers. They've been scrutinized. They've been confirmed. This isn't this isn't an opinion thing. This is something you can measure. Like you could use a ruler to measure the length of something. You can do the same thing in, in um, cell molecular when we're talking about immunology. And this is why I struggle when I when I see people on social media saying things that are uh, just incorrect. For example, if you've been vaccinated. Of course, you can you can actually get the virus. Being vaccinated doesn't prevent your body from, uh, you know, disallowing the virus to enter it. Does that make sense? And and so yeah. a lot of people are surprised. Hey, I've been vaccinated and I have COVID. Oh my gosh, you know the vaccine didn't. Well, that's not how vaccines work. I don't know if you want to hear a, a general summary of, of it. You know, I don't know if this is something your podcast listeners would want to hear, but vaccines are basically an early warning signal that's saying this pathogen is going to show up. Prepare now. In the same immunology, I can't even say it, the same (laughs) immunological response happens in natural immunity as it does with being vaccinated. It's the same cells that are doing the work. The only difference is your body is prepared to fight. You know, if if we lived in the old West and there was a werewolf going around, you know, turning people into zombies or other werewolves, would you put up a wanted sign in the towns that hadn't seen it yet? Of course you would. You would put up these wanted signs and said, 
with a picture of the werewolf and saying, this guy's going to show up and start turning your, you know, all your population into werewolves, silver bullets will kill it. That is what the vaccine is. It's preparing your immune system to fight. So when that werewolf shows up, not only are there zillions of silver bullets made, there's 10,000 members of the posse ready to kill it. So that's kind of like a general overview, you know, in, in fun language of, of what a vaccine does. It is preparing your immune system to dominate a very specific pathogen when it shows up. So it doesn't keep it out of the town. It just prepares them to kill it. And so, uh, you know, that's kind of like the overview of it. Why do you care so much about the vaccine when statistically such a small percentage of people are dying from it? Right. Yeah, it's a great it's a great question. When you when you start playing with numbers, um, you, you know, it's easy to make it look small. But there's been three and a half million people who have died from it. That's not a small number. You know, so the statistic part of it, I've never I've never really prescribed to. The way COVID kills you is is basically pneumonia and it strangles you. You, you. You're not able to retain oxygen and you suffocate. That's how it's killing you. This is why we need, you know, re- ventilators and rebreathers and people are being put on os- oxygen. It's one, probably one of the most terrible ways to die. And uh, deaths in the United States is 600. I think it's like 500 or 600, almost 600,000 now. You know, when you compare that with the total number of soldiers lost in wars, it's almost there. You know, it's pretty much going to pass it up. We can predict that there's going to be more people dead from COVID than, you know, most modern wars, Um, you know, eventually at some point. So, you know, did you see saving? I'm sure you you saw, you saw saving private Ryan, Mm -hmm. right? Of course you have. So there's a scene in that movie where there's a soldier, I think his name's like uptown or Upton or something, the coward. You remember him? No, it's been years. So there was uh, basically a translator that got pulled into the team, and he spoke French and German, and he wasn't really a fighter. But near the end of the movie, they assigned him the role of carrying this ammunition around. You know, so they had a you know thirty cal, and they said, "Bring us the ammunition." And he went to go get some ammunition, and he came back, and there, the American and the German SS soldier were were knife fighting in the room and he could hear him and he was kind of standing outside of the room listening to it. And he was terrified to go in and save his buddy. That is probably the closest analogy that I have to my personal conviction because I think Craig feels the same. Craig and I feel like we can do something. And for the past year we've, you know, we've been listening and talking. It's all been talked because quarantine and no vaccine, but the United States is in great shape right now. I think they're, you know, everything's trending down, the deaths, uh, you know, the people contracting it. Everything's trending down right now, which is a great sign. There's a huge problem for our friends and our allies around the world because they don't have the infrastructure that the United States has. So unless we're able to step up and try to, to figure out some solutions, people are going to needlessly die from this, a lot of them. In the United States, it's not going to be as big a deal. But when we're talking about poor countries, third world countries, when we're talking about the very poor, the very hard to reach, yeah, this is going to be a big problem. And uh, so I, I don't know if that answers your question, but I feel like I can do something and I don't 
want to try to live with myself without trying. You know what I mean? What are some of the specifics, Mike, of future problems in the world? We, I, I know we could go off on a lot of different things like other, mm-hmm. other uh, you know, famines and, or other um, diseases like this. But if, if, if you don't help and other good people don't help, what's the impact really besides, you know, deaths of third world countries? It's a it's a great question. Um, I think the United States right now is, is almost experiencing this feeling of euphoria of things coming back to normal. But that's only in the United States. When you start looking at places like India, you know, India is losing about thirty five hundred, four thousand people a day. But there's also this danger of mutations. And so that the longer the virus exists in other countries, there's a danger that a mutation will arise that vaccines are ineffective against. So even though it feels like, hey, we're good in the U.S., we should still be concerned for our own well-being that this problem with with variants is a real thing. Right now, it sounds like, you know, most of the vaccines are doing pretty well against you know the India variant variant. There's a couple South African variant. There's a couple of them. But as viruses replicate in mistakes of the replication, there, there are these mutations that create changes in the crown protein, which is, is really what vaccines are targeting. Everybody's seen a picture of the COVID vaccine. It's, it has these little spike proteins, and that is really what the vaccines are doing. There's different ways to do it, but the vaccines are introducing introducing a small part of the virus. It's just the uh, the spike protein, which is on the surface of the virus, and by introducing that to the body, the body is able to say, hey, this shouldn't be here, and makes all these antibodies and makes specific killing cells to take care of the virus when it shows up. But if there is a mutation dramatic enough in that spike protein that the antibodies and the immune response doesn't recognize it, we could we could potentially have to face going through this all over again for everybody. Uh, You know, so far, everything that I've read says, you know, the um, the Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca are really good against the variants, but we don't have a guarantee of that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Sounds like right now the variants it should handle, but that could easily change. It, 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 there's no way of predicting it. The sad truth that uh, this is just my opinion is that there will we will never completely eradicate eradicate COVID-19 anytime soon. It, it'll I mean, maybe in 10 or 20 years. And the reason is, is even if you had the unlimited capacity for vaccine. So if you had vaccine all over the world in every country enough for everybody, there becomes a new bottleneck in the cold chain where you, you wouldn't be able to move it to the people who needed it. So when you and I got vaccinated, we got in our cars and we drove somewhere, right? And we were probably injected by a nurse in an air-conditioned room or something. They watched us for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people in the world. Number one, they don't have a car. Number two, there's no roads. Uh, they may not even have the money. They may not even know about it. And some of these villages are rather large. We're talking about thousands of people. So in the past, when we're talking about vaccines that, you know, childhood vaccines, polio, smallpox, things of that nature, uh, a single nurse could show up with a vaccine carrier and within, you know, 20 minutes vaccinate all the newborns in the past couple months, right? That's different now with COVID because you're not just vaccinating, a, you know, a few children. You're, you're, you'd be vaccinating thousands of people in the village. And what's what we're seeing is the method of passive storage, the cooling, isn't sufficient to bring enough vaccine to go into that place. So 
I'll give you an example. Uh, there's a place on Sulawesi that we've targeted. It's six hours away from the city. So if I put that into an ice chest, the vaccine into an ice chest, that ice chest is going to run out in about four or five hours. Are you driving? You see the problem? Yeah, you're driving on a yeah. you're either driving on a mo on a moped or a car. Some people will say, okay, we'll use a refrigerator truck. Well, how many refrigerator trucks do you have in an area? And what happens when there's no road and you can't drive that? So even carrying the vaccine to people who don't have it is a huge problem. And that's the second project that I'm working on is is with UPS is we have these special boxes called Credos. Just got a shipment of them. And in, in working with the Indonesian government, my next job is to prove that these credos will work. The credos were made by Pelican in 2003 for the military to uh, keep blood and medicine cool on the battlefield. So it's a proven technology. And if you condition the box correctly, it'll stay in the two to eight range for about three or four days, depending on the size of it, without electricity. So the test that I'm doing now and the simulation I'm doing now is to prove to the Indonesian government to to prove to their distribution arm that you can reach these remote areas with these kinds of boxes, this special type of technology. So I, I don't know if that answers your question, but the, the truth is America is going to experience, I don't know how to say this nicely, a, a form of COVID superiority for the next year or two where most of its citizens are vaccinated. They're going to be, you know, or immune will be given certain privileges that other countries won't have. Our economy is going to grow and thrive because we're mostly going to be, you know, running at full speed while the rest of the world is still waiting to even get the right amount of vaccines. And even if they did, they're still going to have this distribution problem and they're going to be playing whack-a-mole with outbreaks for, for years to come. I mean, I read a book several years ago talking about a huge percentage of the population does not have like toilets, basically, like in oh, yeah. Bangladesh, parts of Bangladesh. Yeah. I mean, it's it's oh, sure. trying to get people, even if they had at one at one period of time in, in the this is recently, even if you provided, hey, here is a toilet you can use, getting them to use it was not easy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In, you know, in previous disasters, there's, there's a whole section dedicated to toilet and clean water called the wash the wash group. That's all they do is they focus on toilets and clean, you know, washing your hands. And uh, we're, we're, we are very spoiled in the United States. If you if you go out to places, you know, Nepal, I remember I mean, I remember using the bathroom in this village. It was a hole in the ground. That's all it was, you know, and they were good for, for using the hole. In some places, people just, you know, they poop everywhere. Um, so, I mean, yeah, when you're considering that some people don't even have toilets, and they may not even know. And here comes this virus because one of their cousins went to the city and brought it back. And now the whole village is infected. There's not going to be a way to evacuate them. You know, so so if you have, you know, some elderly people in that village and they're all getting sick there, it's a you know, it could be a death sentence. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. What's happening with you now? What, what are some of the successes and then some of the challenges that you're facing? Indonesia, I think they're doing the best they can. Uh, they're not getting a lot of vaccines, just like much of the other world. They're distributing a lot of the, the Sinovac and the Sinopharm, which are Chinese vaccines manufactured in Indonesia. Um, so they get the parts for it and they, they put it together. But there would you, is would short... you take the Chinese vaccine if you hadn't had one? <laughs> it's actually a really good question that I thought about. 
And the short answer is the best vaccine is the one that's available. So knowing the science and if, if there was nothing else, yeah, I probably would. I, I know um, politically that's not a popular opinion. The, the Chinese vaccine is not super effective. Uh, there's been varying reports that initially it was 70 and then it was like 50. And then there's some other reports coming out that it was like even lower than that. But even a vaccine that has 50 percent immune response is is decent. It's not great. Uh, there were some Salvation Army people who, who had it and they did contract the, you know, the actual disease. They got sick from it, but it, they lived, you know, they lived through it. I think the vaccine probably saved them. Um, so there's this political side of it. But I wouldn't take a vaccine that was like less than 50 percent effective. You know, it's probably a, a better a better question, but that's the question that people here are faced with. The only, the main vaccine that's available here is Sinovac. It's, it's the uh, Chinese version of it. What would you do? That's, you know, what would your listeners do if the only vaccine was the Chinese version of it and it was, you know, <laughs> proliferating all over the world, would you take it or not? Um, you know, it's not an easy question, but yeah, if, if it was a legitimate vaccine and I felt good and I read the paper, I've read all the papers on, you know, the vaccines. Yeah, I would probably take it. Yeah, I've heard that before. My brother Joseph said the same thing about the the best vaccine is what the one that's available. Yeah. And that that's a problem that everybody's facing right now. You know, I originally was going to bring in. Well, I, I wasn't going to bring in. I, I was originally part of a team, uh, the UPS team, who was responsible for bringing in, it was like 13.8 million doses of a particular vaccine I can't name. Um, we've, we've dealt with multiple manufacturers, but it's been delayed twice. And uh, I was just here to usher it in and to, you know, get some pictures with it and, and to show, you know, hey, it's delivered, but also establish a working relationship with PT Biopharma, who is in charge of the distribution for Indonesia for the whole country. So it's a pretty big deal. It'd be like me going, you know, coming in from another country to America and saying, hey, let me help you with your vaccine distribution. You know, that's kind of the scope of, of, of the enormity of it. And so, you know, establishing those relationships with the right people and the right contacts in the right places, that's taken a lot of work and a lot of patience. Uh, there's, there's a lot of, I hate to say red tape, but it's red tape. It's uh, There's a lot of formalities. There's a lot of big organizations in terms of the ministries of health and who's communicating and, and to navigate it was very challenging, but we've mostly figured it out. And uh, so between that, waiting for the delays and then working on the equitable vaccine distribution, which is the remote villages, that's pretty much taken up most of my time. How are you prioritizing who gets the vaccine? So in Indonesia, we don't, we don't prioritize. We're, we're basically responsible to help help them move it they are prioritizing in indonesia a little bit differently more based towards the economy which is an interesting strategy uh, so healthcare workers were first and then religious leaders were also near the top of the list because they feel that uh you know the congregation would listen to the religious leaders there is vaccine hesitancy here and um so and then it was a lot of the economic and then the old and the those with poor immune responses. Those were the ones who were giving prior, priority. And so you were seeing people like, you know, uh, taxi drivers vaccinated, 
Why? Because that's part of the economy here. Everybody uses a taxi. They need to go to work, you know, or travel around. Um, but Indonesia has the same problem that everybody else has. There's just not a lot of vaccine or the parts for the vaccine, you know, the, the Chinese vaccine they're using here. Uh, there's a shortage. And so everybody's kind of waiting for more vaccine to come in. And uh, that's been tough. You know, that's that's been very it, there's a lot of hurry up and wait in this deployment. And in the meantime, I just try to practice the language and learn as much as I can, you know, to try to communicate better. So are you all using drones yet? The drones are working, but there are FAA like regulations here that the drones have to go through. Um, there is a, a model called the 178 that's being used right now in Malawi because they were able to get it through regulations and testing. But there's a new model coming, the 198. There's a great video of it on, on YouTube. Uh, that's coming in December, hopefully. And if it passes through regulations, then, you know, maybe at that point, I, I am kind of in the mindset of the drones aren't coming. What can we do in the meantime, you know, which is br brought in these credos to see if we can we can work around mm -hmm. on the drones. I think the credos are actually a more scalable solution. The drones are expensive. Uh, they, they take a lot of setup. You know, you have to have skilled people to, to bring in. The, the drones are a solution, a really great solution, but there's just so much work to be done that I, I can't say for sure if that when or if that'll ever happen. Are there any safety issues with the areas or the the areas that are getting the vaccine? Are there are there any people you know, fighting over them? There are some safety concerns. There are some terrorists in certain places of Indonesia, so you do have to be careful about where you're going and, and what you're doing. Um, people aren't rioting over the vaccines because there is this skepticism. Indonesia is a mostly Muslim country, and one of the vaccines was was listed as haram, which was basically unclean, uh, because there was some I think it was like some pig cells or some pig DNA or something involved in the manufacturing. And so there, you know, we're seeing like even they don't want to take certain kinds of vaccines for religious reasons, you know, but I haven't seen any rioting, if that's what you're asking. What else, Mike, what you're doing and or how, you know, how UPS is helping so I think I think one of the biggest impacts that that I'll have here is if we can get if we can show to them that the credos work. I was I was over on Sulawesi last week and speaking to the doctor in charge of the vaccine distribution there. She's just like, there's no way to bring it out to the villages. You know, we have this four hour window. And I said, well, if I can show you these boxes and how they work Would that help. And she's like, oh, yeah, I mean, that'd be amazing. So. I think the biggest contribution I can make, I have about five weeks left here, is to I have to run some simulations starting here in Jakarta where we're taking temperature loggers. We're conditioning the boxes, recording the temperatures to have data that says, hey, we did this test in Jakarta. And then I am taking that same test over to Sulawesi. We'll go to at least one remote village with some non-COVID vaccines or some other type of product or medi you know, medication We'll move it out. It's a fairly, fairly dangerous trip. On a scale of 1 to 10, I'd put it like at a 6.5, maybe 6.5. If I get hurt or something happens, out, I'm, <laughs> they're not saving me. That's how, you know, it's, it's a pretty far trip without a car. Is the terrain you know? rough, and, uh, too? Yeah, it's very rough. I mean, you can't drive to this place that we're going. I think the Nepal trip was probably riskier. Nepal was crazy, straight up crazy. That was, you know, eight, nine hours of hiking up a mountain, you know, but, um, you know, but 
if we can show that you can take the vaccines and bring them to a village and, and, and I'm going to make a video about it and I'm going to have data, turn that over to PT Biopharma, who's also asked for it, then I can say, here is a solution for you to reach the rural areas. If they put that into their supply chain, I think that would have a huge impact for for the poor and the hard to reach. And so that's going to, going to be my main focus for the next five weeks. Okay. I think COVID, let me back up a little bit. COVID is a war. COVID is war. The virus should be looked at as a war, not combat. I don't want to take anything away from our veterans and the training for combat. Combat is different, but COVID is a war and it's a reality that some people don't want to admit it's going to be around for a while, even though you may not you know, be at risk. It's going to be, it's going to be a risk for a lot of other people. And we should think of it as war, as actual war, because if we, if we get complacent and we start to let up, um, that's, that's, we're going to start running into problems again. I think everybody's sick of talking about it, you know, dealing with the negativity and, you know, fighting everybody against everybody, but we got to come together as a world, as a society, we have got to come together to try to solve it for other countries as well, not just in the United States. Um, you, you know, it, some people aren't going to like me saying COVID is war, but if you look at the numbers of the people dead who will die, if you look at its origins, which we still don't know everything about, you know, hypothetically, if this was made as a potential weapon, uh, I, you know, that changes is everything you know especially if there was intention behind it which we, we don't know uh, a great a great weakness has been exposed in the in the united states where a very small pathogen you know really pretty much brought the u.s almost to its knees you know in in some countries economically this is devastating them you look at the amount of money that we've spent you know in the trillions of dollars just to just to stay afloat until the the vaccines were available our enemies are watching this and they are paying close attention. And I can tell you that between you and I, a biological weapon is a lot easier to manufacture than something like a nuke. It's a lot easier to get your hands on mm -hmm. a pathological weapon. You know, there's stocks of pathogens in Russia all over the place that not many good tabs are being used to, you know, they're easy to lose in the system. So, uh, you know, moving forward, I think COVID has changed the battlefield a little bit in terms of what where our greatest weaknesses and threats are. Nukes are pretty easy to track. There's there's ways to track them, you know, where nukes are and to know who's making them. A lot harder to do that with a pathological agent. And if, and if, you know, our enemies are wise and they say, well, look at the economic damage that COVID did. Why don't we just start walking viruses across that Mexico border? You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we may not see the end of this. You know, there may be something in the next couple of years. You know, here it is, something new. Oh, Who yeah. knows? Oh, yeah. I know there's been a lot of podcasts on COVID. And they've had experts and, and people have opined about it. And, you know, I didn't want to I didn't want to take that route. I like I know your your scientific and your biological background and plus just your service, your your, your life of service and what you do with red lightning and so much that you do on your own dime and so that's why i wanted to talk to you so people know what you're doing because it's very it's still very unique it's very admirable 
And you were telling me, you were talking about these drones delivering, well, this was before COVID. Uh, you're talking about delivering, I guess, maybe it was other vaccines or it was medicine, right, mm-hmm. to rural areas. Yeah, in Rwanda, there's a company called Zipline that has basically built a drone network, also partnering with UPS. UPS funded them. And so everything there is delivered by drone across the whole country. Check it on YouTube. I mean, they have an amazing track record for safety, very efficient, very cost effective, very safe. And we will see drone delivery in the United States. It's already starting to happen where you will order something from CVS. There's a place in Florida doing this where you can order medicine from CVS in, in the next five minutes, it's on your doorstep. You know, it's within a mile or two of, you know, this, this pilot program. The U.S. has rules where you have to have visual line of sight confirmation with the drone. And that's one of the reasons we don't see this long range delivery, but beyond visual line of sight delivery is coming to the United States. And uh, yeah, in, in the future, you order something on Amazon you're going to have a drone delivering it on your door. It may not be in the next year or two, but maybe five or 10 years, we'll see it pretty much everywhere, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, look, I've got great friends that are very against the vaccine, very against the mask, and I've also mm-hmm. got great friends the other yep. way that, that, are, that are fine, you know, either way. And, you know, mm-hmm. I know that for most of us, for most of us listeners, I believe, for you and me, people like us, we don't like being told what to do. Especially oh, yeah, by sure. the government. And oh, yeah, shoot, course. I remember in, I guess it must have been April, maybe May of 2020, uh, you know, we were all quarantined and, and we were, mm-hmm. hey, my family, we were very nervous for Little Wheel and um, sure. my neighbor had a big party, big birthday party, a lot of people there and somebody called the cops on him. <laughs> I mean, it's, wow. you know, they weren't loud. It, it wasn't anything. It was just a normal party, right? It would just it stood out because of the times, and still, it's mm-hmm. just just crazy, crazy to think. Yeah, I mean, there is definitely this rights, you know, you know, personal rights and freedoms aspect of it. It's a whole completely different aspect in discussion. I don't believe in mandatory vac- vaccinations. I think that's even if they're good for the person. I, if somebody doesn't want the vaccine, they should they they should have the right to say no. Uh, you know, COVID has, has taught us that uh, a little pathogen breathed by one person in a part of the world could spread to the entire world. And as much as we don't want to admit it, that proves we as humans are all connected. Even if we don't, even if we're different races, politically, skin color, it doesn't matter. You know, we are connected based on this idea that a molecule breathe or you know a virus breathed by somebody could travel all over the world and infect everybody and the the covid has absolutely been politicized there's no question about it their their rights have been violated there's no question about it i agree that that that's wrong um in the beginning i was for the quarantine because we didn't really know what covid was and if you don't have medication or if you don't have a, a va- you know a vaccination plan quarantine is the safest thing you can do you know, so in the beginning, I was I was all for it, you know, but as time went on and we started to understand more about it, you know, for example, shutting schools down with kids, you know, kids don't really, you know, have they don't really get not many of them at least get sick with it, you know, so that that's a whole different discussion. And it has definitely been politicized in ways that I don't I don't agree with. Um, but something tells me that there have been many lessons learned. 
And the good part about this is if something shows up again, I think we're going to be better prepared than we were this time. Mm-hmm. We, we, we kind of got off the hook that COVID was not as bad as it could have been. I, it feels strange saying that because it's killed three and a half million people. But there are, there are pathogens that are far more con, uh, contagious and far more lethal than COVID. COVID's bad because it has an incubation period of about two weeks. So you might have it not really know. And that's how it's, that's really how it's spread. Those kinds of pathogens are really dangerous because, you know, of the opportunity for spreading. But if it was something a little bit more contagious and a little bit more lethal, you know, we'd be looking at tens of millions or potentially hundreds of millions of people dead. Well, what about in closing, Mike? No, in closing, you know, Thad, I, I know there are going to be people listening to this. I think the number is about 20%. They don't agree with the vaccines. They don't agree with what I'm doing. That's fine. Uh, I am here as a volunteer. I'm not receiving any money for what I'm doing. I just want to put the poor and the hard to reach at the top of my list to have the same opportunity to say yes or no. I want to take the vaccine. That's all I'm doing. Um, and you know, the service work is what makes me happiest. I am happiest doing service work at some point I'll finish and I'll go home and I'll get back on with my, my regular life. But I feel like I can do something and I at least want to try. I don't want to live with the regret of not having tried. And uh, I, I've lost some really close people to me. I mean, lifelong friends. I, they, I'm no longer communicating with them just because of this this whole vaccine discussion, which is crazy. But mm-hmm. it is what it is. You know, it is what it is. I have good intentions. Um, I know the science. I understand the science. People can disagree with me. You're welcome to. But in the end, I have to live with my own, you know, my own decisions and feel good. And I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing right now. So I don't have any concerns about that. Uh, I want to say thank you, Thad, for everything that you've done. I love the podcast. I think it's awesome. You've had some great guests. I'm honored to be on here again. Uh, You know, just getting the message out about, you know, we need to start thinking about other people that don't have the same opportunities as us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, that's great, great, Mike. I loved having you on and ready to see you in Bama sometime or or wherever in the world, I guess. It doesn't have to be here, but I know you haven't been here in a long time. But, um, it's been a long time. You missed a great ceremony at Holbrook Field last week at uh, for the Forrester Strength and Conditioning Facility. You would mm-hmm. love to have been there. Yeah, I saw the pictures that you put posts online. It looked great and just awesome to honor Mark in that way. In, you know, Memorial Day and everything, and just wow, what a mm-hmm. what a special way to recognize Mark. Yeah. What? So, what about you physically? What are you doing? You're obviously not hiking in the mountains every day, but you've got to be prepared to do that. So, how are you staying mm-hmm. fit over there in a hotel room? Body weight exercises. You are your own workout. You know, a lot <laughs> of those kinds of things. I I, I did bring the X3 bar here. Uh, and so I do use that occasionally it's kind of heavy. So I had to, I actually left it on Sulawesi. I'll, I'll get it when I go back, but mostly body weight exercises, usually 10 or 15 minute workouts, you know, four times a week, you know, not a lot. I kind of got sick with, uh, you know, some acid reflux problems. And it, it, at first I took, saw the doctor took some medicine. I was fine. And it's come back. And so like, I'm literally going to go to the doctor today and try to, try to get some more medicine before I head over to Silhouette. But I feel like I just need to be healthy enough to do the simulation. And then by then I'll go home and I should, everything should be okay. Yeah. Well, you've always been 
you, you know, physically fit and the body weight exercise, of course. Mark Lauren, shout out to you because that's that's yeah. what I live by. Now I, I wouldn't take a picture of my body and say, hey, <laughs> follow follow Mark and you'll look like me. That's that's not the case, <laughs> but I, I definitely feel good by by doing those movements. Oh yeah, I mean that's a gr- it's a great book. Everybody should at least know how to do body weight exercises for traveling. Everybody. Yes, that's right. Yeah, you don't have to worry about getting up early and going down to the crappy gyms and waiting for somebody mm. to, to to move from the few dumbbells they have. Yeah, and plus with COVID, it's like, eh, do I really want to go in a place that you know potentially I could pick this thing up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a I had a friend pick it up in a gym. And it was actually her second time she had it, and it almost killed her. It's crazy. Yeah, she was young too. She our age, you know, and she she was she was in trouble. So yeah, I, I don't know if I'll go to the gym anytime soon. You know, well, you don't I need to. Be done with the gym. There's there's no need. That's right. I mean, save that money <laughs> yeah. and and do it at your convenience. That's right. Absolutely. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. Dad, thanks, thanks for so getting up for 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 I guess not working part of your morning and, uh, and and talking with me as you're 12 hours ahead of me right now. Yeah, it's in the morning. You're at 10 o'clock right now. It's uh, time 10 o'clock p.m. on 10 a.m. Thanks for doing this, Dad. I'll let you go. 